What does it take to tell yourself a better story about yourself? I personally always knew that I can create a better world. I can create scenarios for people so that they can experience their life better, one moment at a time. And in the end, those moments will add up to a beautiful story. Now, I'm also painfully aware that my words are never as good as my designs. I speak six languages, but when I speak, my words do not carry any kind of poetry. The way I tell my stories is by wowing the eye and guiding the movement of bodies in space. So naturally, I'm drawn to people who do the same, just differently, with different tools which drew me on Clubhouse into the rooms led by Mark Lovett from Storytelling with Impact. Mark is a storyteller himself, a TEDx event organizer, and a master story listener, helping others create stories that will have impact and thus change other people's lives. And today's episode is about all that and the question If we can learn to tell stories so that they make a difference in other people's lives, can we also learn to tell ourselves a better story about our own life? So, welcome to episode six in this third season of the Home Worth Having podcast that is all about mastering change for more belonging. Today, with Mark Lovett and exploring storytelling with impact. Enjoy. What does it take to build a home? What does it take to build a home away from home? And what does it take to build a home away from home you cherish so much you would cry if you ever had to give it up? Bienvenue, mon ami. I am Nick. I'm your resident interior designer, a serial expert living currently in my sixth country, and your humble host on this podcast that is all about creating homes that celebrate la joie de vivre. That means celebrating your joy of and your joy for life so that you'll have a place you truly feel you belong to. And this is season three, and this time around I will be exploring everything concerning the topic of change, because we are post-COVID-19, and it's safe to say, life has changed for all of us, and the question is, how have you lived through this massive phase of change? Let's talk about how we can make change work for us. I'll be examining it from all different angles, because it's quite complex, n'est-ce And as every season, I'll be inviting some kick-ass guests from all walks of life with all sorts of professional expertise and personal wisdom to tickle the best out of this topic. Welcome. We're here for another episode on the A Home Worth Having podcast, and I'm very excited to have Mark Lovett from Storytelling with Impact as my guest today. And as with so many of my guests, I also met Mark through Clubhouse. And that's just perfect. We're talking about storytelling today. So Clubhouse is the platform where you 
communicate through your voice. And I'm very excited to have you here. Welcome, Mark. Oh, it is such a pleasure to be here, Nick. I always love to talk about storytelling, and that's what drew me to Clubhouse, was that it was an audio platform allowing people to tell stories to other folks all over the world. Right. From the first time on, I was drawn to your rooms because it's just so beautiful. You really can sit back, close your eyes, and first listen to a person and then engage in discussion. And it's really beautiful to not be distracted by the visuals. So what drew me to have you as a podcast guest is you have this very enticing name for your business, which is storytelling with impact. Mark, can you just explain what that means to you and then explain what you do and how you help the people that come to you? On the one hand, I have been using storytelling for many, many years when I worked in corporate America. Of course, every company is involved in storytelling. You're always telling the story of who you are and why you do what you do. You have customer stories, you have employee stories. And so I was always wrapped up in storytelling. But it wasn't until I got out of the corporate world and I became a TEDx organizer and started producing TEDx events that I really saw firsthand the impact these personal stories could have. I started going to TEDx events all over the world, not just putting on my own, but watching other people's and listening to individuals in the audience during the breaks and during the lunch times and after the events and hearing the impact that a certain talk had on them. And what came to me was that a great talk, a great story has this ability to shift perceptions. So I tell speakers that I work with that the audience should see the world differently after hearing your story. And so because I was in storytelling and everywhere I went, I saw the impact of storytelling then that's where the name of my business came from. And so people who work on stories might be working in Hollywood. They could be writing fiction books. There's many ways to tell stories. But my focus is helping other people tell stories that will impact the lives of those around them. Right. So when I looked at your title, I was thinking of what it means to me because just like you, my business title is a home worth having. So you understand the phrase, but I guess everybody understands the content of what that really means for yourself differently. And when I looked at yours, so story for me is all about connection. It's about giving and receiving. It's about understanding. It's about sympathy. And it's something one person gives to another or to many others. And afterwards, there is this bond, there is this connection, right? But it's something very intangible. You can not see that. Sometimes, I guess when we talk about TEDx, one person is on stage and shares their story, is giving something away, and they might not see or never feel that connection that the other person felt who's receiving that story. And then on the other hand, when I thought about impact, Impact is for me always something that you can see, right? It's a reaction, it's a change, it's an activation. So I guess when I think about storytelling with impact, for me, it means that this intangible bond becomes visible. Like there is 
something that you could literally measure or capture on camera. Does that mean the same for you? Do you feel the same way? Storytelling, because of this digital world we live in, can manifest in so many different ways. So for me, the most tangible and the most impactful is always the person-to-person, face-to-face. I'm sitting right across the table from you and we're telling each other stories. There's an interaction, there's an interplay. We're able to ask each other questions. We're able to really get into the story at a deeper level. And it crosses over into another discipline that I'm passionate about, which is what I call story listening, which is another skill of truly understanding what it is that you're hearing from somebody else. Not from a standpoint of judgment or a standpoint of, I know what you mean, but from a standpoint of, I want to know more and let me ask you questions and dive deeper into your story. But that's not always feasible especially when people are in other parts of the world. And so we have all these digital platforms such as Clubhouse and YouTube. And even though TEDx events are are live in person, the videos from those events stay on YouTube forever and get thousands and thousands of views many years later. So storytelling takes on a lot of different personalities, you might say. So the impact sometimes is visible I can see the impact I'm having on you if I'm sitting across the table from you. And other times it is very intangible. If one of my videos is online and five years later, somebody halfway around the world watches that video, it might change their life. But I never know that. I never get to talk to them. I never get that feedback. And it's why this art of storytelling, this skill of storytelling becomes so important in the digital world because you want to tell a story in a way that can maximize its impact, even if you never do get that feedback, because your story might live on forever. That's a beautiful, and that's at the same time, a very scary thought. (laughs) So Mark, how do you work with clients? What does it look like, like in a really concrete manner? Let's say I have a story that I want to share in the TEDx example. So I have a message, like I know what I want the people to take away, but I've never done this. I've never told my story in a formal setting like that. So how would you help me? How does that work? The first phase is to explore what you just mentioned. When someone says, I have an idea, I have a message, I have a view, I have a belief, I have a passion, and I want to share it with other people. And so working with a client, we start there and say, so explain to me what that is. And the individual will tell me what their idea, what their message is. And I'll dive into that deeper and say, where did this idea come from? Why are you passionate about this? And that usually involves a multi-hour conversation of how that individual came to realize that message and want to share it. It can go all the way back through childhood. It could be part of their education. It could be part of their relationships. It could be an event that occurred to them later in life. Whatever that is, exploring that so that I really understand what they want to say and then why they want to say it. What's the passion behind it? And then we flip that around and I say, well, why would any audience care about this message? 
because we want to explore that. When we go back to that TEDx metaphor, when I would produce TEDx San Diego, there would be one speaker on stage, but 1,800 people in the audience. And those 1,800 people are all unique individuals. They all hear things in their own way. They have their own biases, their own beliefs, their own filters in place. So they're actually gonna hear 1,800 different stories. So thinking about who these people are and how your story has the potential to impact their life, this beginning part of the process really helps shape what that story might look like. And then we dive deeper into the story elements that might show up in your story. And that could be your personal story, things that happened to you. It could be the story of someone else, so that it might be a relative who went through a medical process or maybe somebody that you know who became a, a hero in some fashion. There could be other people in your story. There may be science in your story, statistics. There could be historical references. We really dig into all of the aspects of the message you wanted to deliver. And sometimes that will turn into many hours of storytelling. But if you only have 15 or 30 minutes to tell your story, then you have to start crafting that story out of all of the material you have. What do you feel is gonna have the greatest impact for that particular audience? So it's, it's really a process of self-discovery, which brings out the best story possible. So, did I get that right? So you start with defining the impact. What is the takeaway you want the people to walk away with? And then how can we build a comprehensible pathway to that? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm just, I guess I'm working exactly the same way. When I work with my clients, it's just, if your home was an experience and you invite people over, what do you want that experience to be? But most of all, how do you want that experience remain in your own mind? Right? So it's more of a singular approach of not just giving, but remembering for yourself. Um, in our pre-chat, you said you help people uncover the elements that are important, but that they are not aware of. How does that work? It sounds a bit weird. How can somebody not know <laughs> what they don't know, but then you know? How does that work? As humans, we tell ourselves stories all the time. And we create these stories out of our experiences. And oftentimes, those stories have to be a limited view. If you think of a movie, it's about two people, their entire life story, and they fall in love and have a family and, you know, life goes on. You're talking about hundreds and hundreds of hours of experience, but yet the movie's only going to be two hours long. So the screenwriter has to compact all of that experience, and they cut a lot of stuff out, and they decide what's going to go in the movie. Well, we do that similar process in our own life where we decide what it is we want to remember and how we want to shape that story. And you might tell a story to 10 different people, and it's a little bit different each time, but there's a lot of similarity because you've decided which elements in your story comprise that story. And I come in as a neutral party, and I start asking questions about it. So tell me what else happened in that restaurant. How did you feel? 
who are the people around you? What did it sound like? What did it smell like? And I can take you back into experiences where you can relive them. And over and over again, I've had clients during part of this process have this aha moment and their eyes will get really big and they will say, I didn't remember that before. I never included that in my story. I never realized these things were connected. I didn't know that's why I was angry with my parent. I didn't understand that part of my divorce, whatever that story is. So there are these ha-ha moments that sometimes we won't get to on our own. And having somebody lead you through the process and ask questions, that question and answer, digging in, it's like the classic peeling back the layers of the onion. So I help people peel back one layer at a time. And whatever the story is you tell me, I'm not satisfied with that. I want to know more. I want to understand passion. I want to understand motivation. I want to understand emotion. So there's a discovery process in uncovering a great story. And that's what I try to help people do. So from your experience, what are the elements or the pieces that people struggle with most? I see, you know, it's like I see that TEDx event, it's it's just a race at the end of a long training. So what are the parts about that training, about the process leading up that people struggle most with? Some people only want to talk about themselves, which to an audience can form sort of a disconnect with the speaker. You get this feeling that they're only in it for themselves. It's an ego-driven talk, and it doesn't connect with the audience. At the other end of the spectrum are the people who only want to talk about other events, and they don't want to talk about themselves. They're shy, or they're embarrassed, or they feel nobody wants to hear their story. And once again, the audience gets a bit disconnected because they're hearing this story, but they can't connect it to the person who's telling that story. So for me, an important aspect of storytelling is that the audience does understand what your message is, that they do understand why you're passionate about this message, and that also this part of the storytelling narrative connects to the audience so that the audience can see themselves in your story in some way. So you might be talking about dealing with cancer and how you thought you were going to die, but you went through years of treatment and at the end you did survive. And there's stories along the way of the people who helped you and befriended you and the medical staff. So you're telling this story of struggle and hardship and challenge, but how you persevered and came out the other side and how you were changed. Now, there's going to be some portion of an audience who is also going through that same struggle and they feel lost and they feel disconnected. And for them, now they see somebody on stage that they can connect to directly because the, the struggle is the same. But even if it's not cancer per se, people in the audience are still dealing with their own struggles, maybe at work, maybe with relationships, maybe with money. They don't know how they're going to get through something. They feel lost. They feel like they're going to give up. And they hear a story of someone who was in a similar type of challenge, even if the details are different. And again, it teaches them about human resilience and about the power of friendship and about 
struggle and how we can get through it and get to the other side. So in that storytelling process, I always advise speakers to think of themselves and their story, but also think of the audience and what they're going through and to craft a narrative that's going to connect them to the audience in a very special way and that the audience will leave, as I said early on, you know, seeing the world a little bit different. And I think that's the key to, to great storytelling. When you started to speak, another project of mine came into my mind. So a few years back, I started writing letters to my kids. But I started a few years back because I was going through my own struggles as a young parent. And being an expat and living far from any kind of family or friends for that matter. So even if you have good contacts back home to the people that you trust, sometimes it's just really hard because when you go in that moment through something and you have nine hours of time difference, you cannot just call them in that moment. And at the same time, then you are left maybe for nine hours of struggle by yourself. And then by the time you can call them, it's it's just really hard to, to delay that. So I started writing those letters because I thought nobody ever tells you about parenthood and how hard it is in those moments. It's like these, yeah, like, I guess a lot of people just forget with time because that's what we do with struggle and hardship. We just forget how hard it was until there's just some traces of it. But I found in order to be relevant to my kids, these letters needed to have a structure. Because if I just write down whatever is going through my mind, it's just like a journal entry, right? So I spent quite some time researching the art of letter writing, of how people used to communicate back in the days when there weren't phones and stuff. And I discovered that it's this ping pong game of describing your situation, telling how you're dealing with it, what you're missing, and then at the same time, always bringing it back to the listener or to the person you're writing to and making it a question for them. So the way that I structure my letters is then with the purpose in mind that they always have an impact or they always get to a point, right? So that when they are 30 and they are parents, they can pick up this letter that is about dealing with a certain issue, but stays relevant so that we can then have a conversation. So whilst they're reading that letter, they are having a conversation with their peer, with another parent that is the same age, but then they can bring it back and we can have basically this freeway conversation of them being adults, parents, let's say 30, me in the future being already 60, but the 30-year-old me captured in that letter as well. And when I heard you speaking just now, it felt a little bit like that, just that maybe you're less focusing on a conversation, but always zooming in and out of the scene so you have the macro you're like really zoom in on what's the problem right now and then zooming back out so it doesn't become about the cancer per se but about struggle in general did i catch that right exactly you have to deal both with the specifics of your particular story but also look at the overarching message that you're trying to get across. Again, I go back to that movie metaphor. If you go watch a romance movie, whatever happens on the screen is absolutely different than what's happened in your life. 
but yet you have fallen in love and fallen out of love and you've had wonderful times and struggling times. And so that's why we connect to those stories in a good film because from an emotional and intellectual basis, there is a connection there at a higher level, even if the details are different. So in the cancer example that I used, there are the details of how I dealt with cancer, but the bigger picture is how did I deal with struggle and how did I deal with hardship? And that connects to resilience and it connects to friendship and determinization and all these different things that humans do so that people can take away both the detailed level and the higher level, depending on who they are and what situation they're dealing with in their life. And when I go back to the example of going to all of these different TEDx events and I would go out on break and sit with people and I would ask them, what did you think of this last talk? And they would relate these stories to me of how they were going through something completely different. But yet at a higher level, that story impacted them because it made them reflect on their own life and think about how somebody else dealt with difficulty and how they could. So they walked away with a fresh perspective. And in that case, it was less about their ability to ever go back to that speaker and have a deeper conversation. It wasn't that kind of back and forth storytelling. This was someone walking away with a new view of their own life and the world around them. And that allows them to change their thought process, which means they're going to act differently. And in a way they've shifted a little bit. Their life is now going off on a little bit different direction than it was before. So you're spot on when you see the different levels and layers that are present in a personal story. Okay, good. I have another question. It is really concrete and maybe it's a bit too in the specifics, but I was wondering what are the elements that all stories share? And I know if you tell something funny, it's going to be different than when you write a thriller or talk, tell your story as if it was this thrilling moment. That's not what I mean. So just to maybe give you an example, in my field of work, when we do interior design and we define what home is, there is always, the process is always the same. There is the before, there is the during, and then there is the after. So before is the planning and the getting clear. And the during is doing the work, not doubting, ideally not doubting what you decided you want to do before and dealing with the struggle, A, with the work in itself that might be having to paint the walls or tearing down walls and buying stuff, but also with the disruption that it creates in your life. And then the after of being able to enjoy what you created and having a reflection of how that those decisions that you made in the past are affecting you right now and into the future. So yeah, I was wondering, is there something similar that all stories share? Like, is there some phases when we talk about storytelling as a skill that maybe we can start to think about how, how would I start that process of telling my own story? I'll answer that in two different ways. One is very similar to how you just described your process, which is you have this idea that you want to make manifest. And so I tell speakers to imagine the audience walking into the theater and what is their current frame of mind? 
What do they think about your topic? What are their current beliefs, their biases, their thoughts? Now comes the hard work of creating this 15 minute talk, for example, which kind of means tearing apart your life and rebuilding it and, and digging into the structure and finding these story elements maybe that you even forgot, but somehow creating this vision of this story that you want to tell. Then you're on stage and you tell the story for 15 minutes. And now there's the after part. So in your case, the after is experiencing your new home. In the storytelling case, it's more what is the audience going to experience after hearing your talk? How has their life changed? How are their thoughts, their perspectives altered by what you've said? So I invite people to think about that before, during, and after as part of the crafting of story process. The other answer I would give, which is more nuts and bolts, which I think you, your question was really focused on, stories are comprised of some basic elements. There are people, and there are landscapes, and there are events. There are actions and reactions and conversations. Those are kind of basic elements. And you decide how deep you want to dive into that. So a very simple and very boring story might be, I went to the refrigerator, I was out of milk, I got in my car, I drove to the store, I bought some milk, I came home. So there was a person, there were some actions, there was some thought processes that went on. You can kind of visualize me getting in a car driving to the store, but it's really pretty boring. But if I tell a story of, I got in my car and I went to the store and somebody ran a red light and almost crashed into me and it scared me and made me realize how short life can possibly be. And then when I walked up to the store, there was a homeless person out there asking for money. And I realized that if it wasn't for my good fortune in life, maybe it would be me there. And I talked to this individual and I found out what their story was. And so you can get deeper and deeper into that story and be more descriptive, bring in more story elements, bring in the conversations that occurred. And that's part of this process I go through helping somebody tell their story is to ask those questions about what happened at each moment in time. But you should be thinking about what was the environment that I was in during this story? What else did I see? If I'm with you in a coffee shop talking to you, well, what did the coffee shop look like? Who else was there? What kind of people were there? Was this a work environment? Was this a weekend? Was this, you know, kids from the soccer team who were all there getting some kind of a drink? You can enrich your story by turning it into more of a visual process and thinking about what actually happened there. But always come back to those elements of who were the people involved? What were the locations? What were the things that actually happened? What were the conversations and reactions? And the deeper you dig into that, the richer your story becomes. Yeah, no, being a mom, I know what it's like when I ask my kids what happened at school and <laughs> the way they tell their story is. So first I saw my friend Yovan and then Yovan did this and then a butterfly came by and then, and then, and then, and you're like, oh my God, I can. Sometimes I wonder why I asked because there is, Right. There is no point to this story, and yet you want to be interested in your kid's life, but you catch yourself in your own head thinking like, 
Why did I even? Yeah, it brings me to another question. So when I work with my clients and interior design is by definition a luxury product, it's always about going beyond what you need, right? The way I see it is how do we celebrate what do we care for most? But the struggle that I have often with clients is that they see their interior. And if we take it into storytelling, they want to tell the story of what their life is or has been or is going to be. And they almost see it like a like a CV, right? It's this accumulation of glory moments. First, I was born, then I did this. I succeeded at my diploma at high school with that. I went on to the next. Like, it's this list of credentials that is really super boring to read, right? It doesn't create connection. Because when I think of stories, stories are about connection. Then we connect about the failure and we connect about the struggle and the vulnerabilities of the character. We connect through the tough, the ugly and the ordinary. So when I think about stories, if we only focus on the glory moments, the story becomes something between self-praise and a CV that nobody connects to. There's no emotional connection. There's just uh, accumulation of facts. And that refers in my case People just wanting to show off their home filled with bling bling stuff that have absolutely no other usefulness than a diploma that you hang on the wall, right? It's not helping you with the flow of life. And yet when we in real life focus too much on our own stories of failure, of struggle, of where we felt weak, then it's easy to feel stuck. It's easy to feel like there is no progress in our story. So what's the middle ground? How do we find the middle ground of being vulnerable, seeing the, for lack of a better word, the deficiencies in our story and yeah, the glory moments, the highs and the peaks? How can we start knitting this perfect balance if there is something like that? So I was just listening to you describe this interior design process, which I think is very fascinating because you're right. uh, The decisions people make when they're designing their surroundings are very unique to each person. And one of the things that the pandemic has done and pushing us all on to Zoom is that I've been in so many conversations with people and sometimes they're in their living room, sometimes their kitchen. Often they're in a workspace, a den or an office type environment. And in one case, there'll be a bookcase with all these books. You know, I use that as a prompt so that I can have a conversation and say, tell me about what your favorite book on that shelf is and what draws you to it. In another case, there were all these awards and uh, trophies. And I would say, so what what are these trophies for? Oh, they're for tennis. Well, talk to me about, you know, tennis. Were you a pro? Were you an amateur? And of course that leads into all these stories of success and failure. One guy had guitars on his wall. And so he had all these stories about being a musician, but he couldn't make any money. So he became a doctor and on and on. So how you design your home, it can either be an ego-driven thing or it can be a story-driven thing where you want elements in your home that are part of your story. And ideally, people that you connect to and spend time with. 
can have an opportunity to actually use those items in your home as conversation starters. And that gets into the question that you asked about being vulnerable and, and telling the true authentic story of who we are. And that can be difficult. Some people don't wanna talk about their failures. They only wanna talk about their successes. Other people go the opposite route where they just talk about their failures and how miserable life is and all the problems they've had. And, and it's almost as though they're saying their future has no hope because they're stuck in the past. And so that middle ground for me is recognizing that the stories you can tell about yourself are for the most part in the past. Some of those stories are about the present. This is what's happening to me right now. But none of those stories are about the future, really, because the future hasn't happened yet. And that's the great power we have in understanding our life as a story that's constantly unfolding, which is that we have that ability to write that next chapter. We can move to a new city. We can get a different job. We can get into a different relationship. We can stop a habit that's not serving us. There are so many things that we have the power to do that will change that narrative. When we get back to those story elements and we talk about the people in the story, you can change the people who you associate with. We talk about the actions in the story. You can make different decisions about what it is you want to do. And one of the beauties of the work I do is that I get to hear these stories from people and their journeys are just amazing. To them, it might seem rather mundane. This is just what they did. It's how their, their life worked out. But over and over again, people get married, they get divorced, they pack up, they move to a new city, they go back to school, they get a different career. All of these changes so that at every point in their life, they made this decision to write a new narrative going forward. So the people who have this glorious past, I still ask them, what does your future look like? And the people who have a trauma-filled past, then I say, what do you want your future to look like? And so people have that ability to write a new chapter each day when we wake up. So what's the narrative you want to create? To me, that's that beautiful and unlimited middle ground. As I sit here and listen to you, this season's topic is about dealing with change. Just because COVID has happened and change has been forced onto every person on the planet. So it unites us. And I have these five areas that I uncovered while reflecting about change. And what you just said plays into this area of change that is happening in public versus change that is happening in private, right? Because if we stay again in the TEDx example, we're talking about nonfiction, right? We're talking about somebody's past and how it's impacting their present. And then hopefully by talking about the past and the present, it will impact somebody else's future. So if storytelling is always from one person to another, is there a way of learning how to tell your own story to yourself differently. So if we take the, the public away, is it different to 
construct a story that you are sharing publicly with other people versus the story that you learn to tell yourself about your own past and your own present? Or is it, is it one on the same? So they are typically very different. And it goes back to a point I made earlier about storytelling involving continual editing. We edit the stories we tell ourselves, and we also edit the stories we tell other people. For example, I could be working with someone and we'll come up with a two-hour story, but they're only allowed 30 minutes to tell that story. So you're picking and choosing which elements of the story that you want to be presented to the public. In this case, 30 minutes. And the other 90 minutes is being left out. These have to be very conscious and very intentional decisions. But you also have to recognize that you're giving people a very specific impression by the elements that you've chosen. Some people, if they want to come off in a good light, will pick certain elements that focus on the good stuff and they leave out the bad stuff. Other people wallow in the bad stuff. And the middle ground is showing both the highs and the lows. Here's my successes. Here's my failures. And we do the same when we're telling our self-internal stories. Some people have this incredible vision of themselves. I'm the most amazing person in the world. They're just ignoring all of their faults. And other people focus on all their faults and all the mistakes they've made and all the bad things, and they don't recognize the good traits within them. Since I've gotten into storytelling, I've become very conscious of the stories I tell myself and the stories I tell other people. So this is a beautiful question. I encourage people to be aware of both to think about the stories that they're telling themselves. And there are days when I think about all the great successes I've had, and there's other days when I just focus on the failures. And I have to remind myself that those are each just elements of who I really am. And when I'm speaking to people in public, I have to make a determination at any point in time. How vulnerable do I want to be? Do I want to talk about a divorce? Do I want to talk about an illness? Do I want to talk about something that didn't work out right? And how deep do I want to go into it? And when I'm working with clients, that becomes a very key point. How deep do you want to go into something and whether you want to mention it or not? And there are certain elements of someone's story where they will say point blank, I'm not ready to talk about that. Or this is as much as I can say about that I don't want to share my deepest feelings. So there's not a right or wrong to how we're going to share those stories in my mind. I think it's simply a matter of being aware of the stories we're telling and to think about that and to ask ourselves the question, are we telling an authentic story that's true to who we really are rather than a story that we think someone else wants to hear? Because that sense of authenticity brings out at least in my experience, the most impactful stories. You can see someone on stage when they're willing to be vulnerable and they're willing to share who they really are rather than a manufactured version of themselves. Yeah, yeah. you touched on another subject, change and courage, right? Change always takes courage because we can go into change with the best of intentions but just because we have the intentions it doesn't mean it will it will happen the way we envision it to be so i know about you that you are an expat as well you're an american living in portugal and the story of expat life 
each person's story is different, but we can all relate to going on this journey of intentionally becoming another, becoming somebody who is a foreigner, somebody who is putting themselves back into learning mode, right? And that brings me to the point of when change is wanted and we are the initiators of change, it's obviously from a point of confidence. And we might not know what it's going to happen. We hope for A, B, and C, but we know that it might happen completely different, but we are willing to take the risk or we're willing to take the journey because we feel confident and we have more courage. Whilst the other change that we can now all relate to with COVID is that change was forced upon us. And I make the differentiation when we talk about change. Is it a change as in, does the change require you to be open? And in that case, I call it an adaptation. Is it, are you adapting for so you can have more in your life? Or is it a change in order to set boundaries? in order to, uh, yeah, to say, you know what, this is the limit and I cannot take it anymore. Because that is the two versions of clients that I get is either that they are overwhelmed and they realize I cannot deal with this. Something has to change. I need more boundaries. The cup is full and I cannot have it overflowing anymore. It's too much. I need to set some boundaries and that's why I need to change my environment to help me set those boundaries. Or I have the people who are entirely bored and underwhelmed and say, you know what, the way it is right now is not working for me. Like I need more. I just need to find the right kind of more. So I was wondering with your experience about stories of change, what came into my mind when I hear people talk about the forced change of COVID, it's easy to generalize to say that people that have not been entirely happy with how the narrative of their story is developing pre-COVID, they have the ability to more appreciate maybe the the impact and the, the change that happened with COVID because it allowed them to have a break, whilst the people who were functioned very well and then were forced to change all of a sudden experienced COVID as this disruption, as this intrusion into their flow of life. Am I, am I making that too simple or is, <laughs> is there some truth to that? What would you say when you reflect upon your clients that taught stories of change? Well, as you refer to, especially in these times of COVID, there is change which is coming from the inside being manifest to the outside world and what we want our world to look like. But change also comes the other way, where the world itself can impose change upon us. Uh, We've seen that during the pandemic, of course. We saw that during the last financial collapse You see that whenever there's a natural disaster, a hurricane or a typhoon, sometimes change change is forced upon us. And at each moment, once again, we have to decide what is our narrative going forward. So I talked to people who were in the middle of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, 
And they said, that's it. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. I'm tired of this. I need a whole different world, a whole different change. Other people said, I'm digging in my heels. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to rebuild. This is my home. So they looked at the environment around them and they made those decisions of how they were going to react to events that they didn't control. But the other side of that coin are those events we can control. When you talked about being an expat, I think in our case, it was a conscious decision that was really one that we could calculate and say, yes, I want to live here instead of there. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to put a plan into effect. And, and even if there was hardship involved, there were mainly pleasant experiences. There was an excitement of something new. Very different than when I lived in San Diego, California, and we've all heard the news about the U.S.-Mexico border and immigration and all of that. I won't get into the politics involved there, but I would relate to stories of a woman with two children from Central America who spent months traveling by foot and bus and train through Mexico to get to the border and her dream was to get across that border, to get into America, to have this better life because her life was being threatened where she lived. So that's a lot of hardship. That's a lot of courage. That's a lot of determination to say, this is how I want my life to be. But the similarity there is that conscious decisions were made to change the environment that we live in, to change the people we associate with in some cases, to change the language that's being spoken around us. And so we're creating this new narrative through this process of change. And the things that are unexpected, I've talked to people during the pandemic who had relatives who died unexpectedly, and they realized their whole future just changed. It may be a sibling, it may be a parent or a grandparent that was lost way too soon. They weren't prepared for the change. They thought this person's going to be in my life for another 20, 30 years. And within two weeks, they were gone. But they had to accept that reality and once again say, what do I want my future to look like? So we always have that ability to craft a new narrative around our desire for change or the change that's imposed upon us either way. Yeah. When I hear you talk, I'm trying not to take notes because I'm trying to actively listen to you. And then at the same time, I'm so afraid that I might miss something, right? And it brings me instantly back to the question of, okay, what can we do? What are the feasible things that we can do to actively write a better story for ourselves? So when, I, when, I, when we talk about those stories that we tell in hindsight, in hindsight, everything makes sense. In hindsight, it's cohesive. But when we're in it, in the moment when it's not yet hindsight, we're in the middle of it. It's all just this huge mess, right? <laughs> we know we might not see the thread of the story or the line or where it's taking us. However you want to call it, if you talk about a journey, we might not see the, the road, right? It's just forest. <laughs> Everywhere, wherever you look, there's a tree and there's no path in between them. You're just zigzagging what feels in the moment really randomly. So it just brings me back to the different kind of stories. So the, the stories that we tell in hindsight, knowing already what it taught us, 
but then being in the moment, how can we write for the future? Like when we are in it, when we are in the mess, in the forest, and we cannot see the path, what kind of story do we need to write? And my mind goes instantly to the idea of mission statements, vision statements, motivation, and seeing it from the point of me going through this, how is this going to support others? Okay, if this was a story and I would tell this story to somebody else, just imagine yourself to be already in hindsight and looking back and then reconstructing the path of how do I get to the result that I want to have, but don't see right now the concrete how-to. What is it we need to tell ourselves about ourselves in the moment of change and when we play with this whole notion of past, present, and future? I don't know, is it? <laughs> Sorry, well, I don't know, is it? <laughs> yeah, Sorry, gonna... very complex. Yeah, I was going to say the driving metaphor that you referred to resonates with me. And you alluded to this because I would always tell my son when life was confusing that I would say life tends to make sense in the rearview mirror. Once everything's done and it's past and it's behind you, you make better sense of it. You start to see the connections. For me, sometimes it takes three, four, even five years before something finally makes sense to me. Now I understand why this happened. Now I have this different perspective. And, and that's an opportunity to learn from your past because you're coming up with realizations of what really happened and why it happened and your motivation and somebody else's. So there is that part of reflecting in the past. When it comes to being in the present, in the middle of the mess and trying to get through it, I go back to an expression that was taught to me early on in my business career where a mentor of mine over lunch one day said, always be thinking about the phrase, what does success look like? And sit down and get very detailed and very visual about it. And that success could be one, three, five years down the road. You have to determine what that time frame is. But if you're running a business, you might say, in five years, I want to go from 10 to 100 employees, from 1 million to 100 million in sales. I want to do this, this, this. From a personal perspective, it might be, I want to be married and have kids and have a great job. You're painting this vision of what the future is like. And then the point that you alluded to is you have to think about where I am and where I want to be. And then what is that path? How do I get there? I haven't met anyone that has a magic wand and they just wave the wand and all of a sudden their business quadruples in size or they meet the perfect person in their life. You know, our life is just wonderful in any way, shape or form. There is always a path from point A to point B. And there are many ways to get there. Many options that you could take, many careers, many relationships, many places you could be. So it's not just one set. I need to discover the one path that's going to be, you know, the right one for me. But you have an objective in mind. And you also think about, are, are the steps that I want to take true to my values, true to my beliefs? There are people who had to, as the old saying goes, sell their soul to the devil in order to achieve some sort of success. I had to conduct illegal transactions on Wall Street so that I could make a bunch of money. I had to lie to people so that I could get elected. 
I had to do whatever. So there are people who make the conscious decision to actually violate their own you know, morals and their own beliefs. But if you, like most people, want to stay true to yourself, that helps guide your path. And so you look at those options. What do I need to do to get out of the mess that I'm in today and the struggle that I'm in today? Is it moving to a new place? Is it having a new job? Is it taking a pay cut to move into a different career? Is it going back to school? Think about what those options are and what the consequences are. I've talked to people who said, hey, I was a lawyer or a doctor and I was making great money, but my passion was music. My passion was art. My passion was helping kids. So I quit my high paying job moved into a smaller place, cut my expenses back so that I could follow my passion and I could be true to myself. And now I play guitar in nightclubs and I barely make enough to pay my rent, but it's what really feeds me. So that person had this choice of staying in a job that didn't satisfy them or making a radical shift in their life and being more satisfied. And so to them, what success was in the specific example I just gave, success was being able to stand on stage every night, play the guitar, see people happy and smiling and swaying to the music. That was much more satisfying to them than getting a big paycheck. So they followed that dream and that passion so that they were approaching success in their mind. So sometimes the word success is only related to power and money and notoriety, but success means you're leading a better, more satisfying life. So that's how I would counsel people to figure out what their next path is going to be, what their next step is going to be. And of course, every journey is putting one foot in front of the other. So it takes a while in many cases, and it's not easy, but you have to have a vision of what that future looks like. Which brings me, yes. Naturally, it's, it's funny how this always develops. My last point of the five areas where change is just a little bit of elusive or hard is the topic of change and patience. So patience is always said to be a virtue, right? It's always this thing that you should have. But in my experience, patience or the lack of patience is this great indicator of where you are in life and what you need right now. In my experiences with my clients is those that have been procrastinating a while, they wanted a nicer home, a better life, you know, making this change, but they did not do it. They've been pushing it back and pushing it back because they, they don't have the confidence. They don't know of how to get there until they work with me. And once we find all the elements to the change that they want, to that better outcome that they desire, all of a sudden they experience this lack of patience, right? All of a sudden it's like, I can't wait anymore. And then that becomes the driving force because finally they can start. So in my profession, the lack of patience is for me always an indicator that I nailed it. The customer is happy. They can't wait to finally get started. And at the same time, people who are going back to the situation of, are you in overwhelm or are you in underwhelm? So they push back because they are in underwhelm and they 
couldn't see what, you know, what the vision, what the outcome that they wanted to, they grasp the feeling, but they can't see it in their eyes, how it would actually manifest in their three-dimensional space. Whilst the other clients who feel they are in overwhelm, they also have been pushing back, pushing back to make the change. And then all of a sudden, this lack of patience becomes unbearable. All of a sudden, they realize they've been tolerating too much and then need a change right now. They need to set up boundaries right now because the way the situation is right now is unbearable. So something needs to change. And that's just what came up when I heard you speak that change and patience, they are so interwoven, but there's no easy way of categorizing it if patience is good or patience is bad. Because in a lot of cases in my in my profession, they've had too much patience for too, too long and then it's basically too, too late, right? When you drink, when you're thirsty, then it's already too late. That's my, my little story here. Yeah, but my final question would be, when we talk about change and storytelling, what is the question or what is it that I haven't thought of? What is the questions that I haven't asked you? What is the wisdom you know about how storytelling can help us deal with change, whether it change that we anticipate and that we are creating for ourselves or the change that has been forced upon us? I often tell people that one of the best ways to become a better storyteller is to become a better story listener, which means that you are more observant and you're more conscious of what's going on around you. Story listening can be direct, me listening to you one-on-one, -on -one, but it can also be me listening to the world around me and seeing the story that's unfolding in every corner of this planet. And every time you meet somebody to think about what is their story and who are they and what do they have to teach me and to offer me. And the more I listen to other people, the more I realize how courageous and resilient humans are by their very nature. And some of that comes back to the point you were making earlier, which I find interesting, which is to Think about this difference between patience and procrastination. And procrastination can be that process of always putting things off and not wanting to make change. And patience is a matter of letting things work at their own pace and be okay in that moment. So when we talk about being expats, I think I procrastinated for years, even though I had the desire to live in Europe instead of the United States. But once I made that decision that now is the right time to do it, then there was this sense of impatience to say, I need this change now and I want it to happen and I want it to be done with. And I've been taught repeatedly over the past couple of years, even as I sit here today, that there is a point of creating change, but also being patient to the fact that the world is operating on its own speed and that many other people have all their own stories unfolding. And that especially when you're in a different country, you have to have patience with that system that's around you. So walking out of one situation into another, that movement away from procrastination to taking action will create a new story for you 
But part of that process is to let that story unfold in a, a natural, organic way, I guess you would say. And that comes back to this point of story listening where part of my own journey in coming to another country is watching the stories around me and thinking about what is life in Portugal and what is the history of Portugal and, and who are these people and what stories do they have to tell. So I always encourage people to become a better story listener as a way to see how their own story has layers to it that they probably haven't thought of before. And the more you discover about yourself, the more empowering that is. The more you do realize your own sense of self-worth, of self-confidence, your own resilience, your own power to affect change, to look back and look at all the times in your life that you've made things happen, and to know that you have an even greater power to my previous point about what success looks like. You have a greater power than what you had ever imagined to make that future happen as you envision it. Mark, thank you. We're coming up to the hour. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and also the patience with me. I know that I've been through this process. I've been very torn between the very hands-on of storytelling, the skill and the things that we can learn and the structure and the distribution. And then on the other hand, on the more philosophical or theoretical level of storytelling and what it really means to us as a human and how important it is to sometimes get close to our story and then at the same time, again, zoom out and detach from what is happening within our story and just see it as a story and then have that emotional detachment in order to, to be able to come forth. I have enjoyed this very much. As always, I will be going back to this interview and then taking my notes and take, making my own conclusions. But Mark, where can the listeners find you? And what's your preferred mode of contact if people want to contact you in order to tell better stories about their lives with your help? So one reference point for people who want some additional information on storytelling is They can go to storytellingwithimpact.com and I have some tips and guiding points that people can refer to there, some, some posts that I've done to provide more information. I usually connect to people through LinkedIn. So anyone can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find there under the name Mark Lovett. I'm happy to connect. And if people have questions to ask about storytelling, I, I can give people obviously a limited amount of my time for an answer. But I like to encourage people to think of life in story mode. And so I'm happy to connect with people and help them on their journey to become better storytellers. Right. And are you still on Clubhouse? Are you having your rooms on Clubhouse the way I found you? I dive into Clubhouse every once in a while. To be honest, not as often as I used to. As the world has opened up, my experiences have become less digital and more in-person. I think as there's been a be. <laughs> Yeah, I think, well, I think there's also just been this hunger, this pent-up demand for being out in the world. And so one of my 
passions is to see uh, classical music. And in Lisbon, where I'm at, there are three different orchestras that play here in different venues. And so I've seen just some amazing music. And to me, it's not just the auditory process of, of hearing the music itself, but I'm always wondering what was the story behind this symphony that was written, you know, could be 100, 200 years ago. Who were the people who created it? Who are the people on stage playing it? Sometimes I have to step back and just enjoy the music, uh, but it's so story-driven to me that this ability for us to share stories through art and through music, as well as conversation, yeah. has, taken, has taken me out of Clubhouse uh, for the time being. I, I've been telling myself it's time to go back in there and fire up some more storytelling rooms, but people can also connect to me on Clubhouse because I am there from time to time. Brilliant. Yeah, it, funny that you mentioned this. When I was in university studying design, I had a project that was focusing on not event design, but experiences. Like how do we design experiences? And the, the project that I created was I have a sister that is 10 years younger. So when I was 25 at the point, she was 15 and it's still in high school. I had an experiment with her class. I went into her class and I just played different pieces of music from pop over classic over anything. And they would just sit there blindfolded, all the kids, and just making notes about what they see when they hear music. And it was really, really interesting how the imagery matched was very similar amongst all these kids, even though there was no talking in between them, just listening and then writing down an image, what, what they saw in front of their eyes. And obviously it can be skewed when we talk about modern music and there's videos and everybody's seen the same video. But then when we go into classic music or into jazz or something less visual in, in media, it still was the same experience. And that's, that was for me fascinating. It's just genius how people can create through notes, pictures in our heads. Yes, exactly. Experiences are stories unto themselves. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. And I'm looking forward to editing this now and then putting it online and then hearing and seeing what the listeners take away from our little conversation. Thank you so much, Mark. Oh, you're most welcome, Nick. I was happy to be here and talk about storytelling and Hopefully people have a little bit different perspective about their own story after hearing what we've talked about today. So thank you so much for inviting me. <sighs> this is it, mon ami. This was Storytelling with Impact, Storytelling for Change with Mark Lovett. And if you asked me what my takeaway from this conversation is, then it's this. The power of stories lies within being shared. A story untold is a moment of richness no one ever gets to experience. In my last two episodes, I shared with you the four quality filters that our human brain uses to create memories. Memories, the most precious thing any human has. What made COVID so emotionally devastating is the feeling that with every death, there was a story interrupted, a story not yet finished, a story lost because it does not get to get shared anymore. 
So I urge you to go back and listen to Mark's wise words of advice. If your life was a story that can help someone else see their life differently, what kind of story would it be? And then practice seeing your life as a storyline. Zoom out when the details get too much, too rich. Zoom in when you feel like you lost your plot. Maybe there is one particular story you always felt like sharing. Then please go and learn more about Mark's art and how he helps to curate your story so others can understand better and be moved. You'll find Mark on storytellingwithimpact.com. Also on LinkedIn under Mark Lovett, that is Mark with a K and Lovett as in L-O-V-E-T-T. And yes, sometimes still on Clubhouse, so check that out too. And if you want to tell yourself a better story visually through creating a beautiful home, then join me in February 2022 where we'll take four weekends to curate the best pieces you already own without buying new stuff. Join me for the love the shiz out of your home challenge. (laughs) Oh boy, you see what I mean? My words are not pretty, but your home will be if you join. So until next time, next year, that is after two weeks of well-deserved holiday break with many other new guests and many more ways to tackle and master the change you need to create your belonging. But wait, if today's episode resonated with you, if you found value in it, please leave me a review. This truly makes a difference in getting found by the right people. People like you, Shiri. And if you feel gracious, please consider the A Home Worth Having podcast worth sharing with your friends or just that one person you feel would profit most from this episode. As for now, I stay your humble designer friend and I wish you the holidays you need. I talk to you soon. I wish you enough. A bientôt. C'est Nicole.